Attention, all troops. He's alive. Alive. Welcome to the Rapnolis. In the 1980s, for some reason, and I have no idea why, my family would go to the mall every weekend. Didn't matter what was going on, if there were sales, I have no idea what they did. We would drive up to the mall, fight traffic, and park in our favorite lot, go in. We would split up. I would go to the arcade, the toy store, the bookstore, and my family would go and do their shopping. I didn't realize how lucky I was that I got to do this until all my friends wanted to start coming to the mall with my family. So every time my family was planning a mall trip, I'd pick up one or two of my friends. We'd all get in the back seat. Everybody'd cram in and we'd drive up together. My family would do their shopping. We'd go do our thing. We'd all meet for lunch. Then we'd go home. This went on for at least two, three years. It was a great time. Had some of the best memories with my friends up there. Then some behavior changes started. We would go up to the mall and my friends had started doing things like smoke. I didn't take up smoking. So instead of playing video games, they would just spend their money on cigarettes and then would just chain smoke in the corner of the arcade. Yes, you could smoke in arcades in those days. And I know they really loved the freedom because they were away from their families. Nobody could say boo about them. If they smelled like smoke, well, that's because the arcade was smoky. This would go on for at least another year. It got to the point where we were really going on a separate trip up there. And I would always call them to come, but basically when we got up there, they'd hang out with their arcade friends not playing video games, and I would just spend all my money on video games, which they would kind of tease me for. It got to the point where I wasn't enjoying it, and eventually I stopped calling them. I would just go to the arcade by myself. Whenever I would see other kids up there smoking and not playing video games, I would be reminded of the friends that I had who weren't with me anymore, so it was a bit bittersweet. Arcade memories are a great thing, but they're especially good when you had friends to share them with. On today's show, we're going to talk about a game that I played at that arcade quite often, Battlezone. It was a game that, even if you haven't played it, when I describe it, you're probably going to know what it is. We're going to talk about its creation, the production, a little bit about the team behind it. We'll talk a little bit about the technical side of things. We'll talk about the controversy surrounding the military's involvement in this game. We'll talk about how to play the game, the scoring, some bugs in the game. We'll talk about its ports, its clones, and we'll throw in a few surprises here and there. We have an info-packed episode ahead of us, so without further ado, let's start the show. Battlezone was an arcade game released in 1980. 
It uses vector graphics rather than raster graphics. If you want more information about vector graphics versus raster graphics, I suggest you check out the Asteroids podcast that I had done many, many moons ago. I think it gives a pretty decent overview of the difference. The game is black and white on a vector monitor and uses color overlays to give the game a little bit more depth. It was a very popular game. And we'll start off talking a little bit about the production of the game. The idea of doing a tank simulator was brought to the fore at Atari and championed by Morgan Hoth, who was the project lead for Battlezone. Ed Rotberg was the principal programmer. According to Rotberg, Hoth championed the idea and put together a team to implement the idea. The real challenge of it was how to make it appear much more technological than the capabilities of the hardware. Now, the game is very well done and uses some great hardware to create that high-tech vector graphics look, which, if you haven't played Battlezone, you've probably played Asteroids, so you have an idea of what vector graphics look like. But they also used some really cool low-tech tricks, which I discussed in the intro. They use cellophane, which is a great way to add color. It's been used since they were projecting images on a screen. My mother always tells me stories about how they would have cellophane wraps for their black and white TV that they would put on during like baseball games and stuff to add color to black and white television sets. So they did that with Battlezone. They used a band of red cellophane at the top of the screen. The result being that there were red colors for the radar and warning messages, even though Battlezone was just a simple one color display. Before getting the name Battlezone, which is a great generic name, it had two other equally generic names for the prototypes, Future Tank and Moon Tank. At the same time Ed Rotberg was working on Battlezone, he was working on another vector graphic game, Red Baron, and they actually started development at the same time. But Rotberg did not use a structured approach to development, and while he might have gotten Red Baron working first, it would be Battlezone that would make it to market first. The full team who would come to work on Battlezone and all its different little parts were Rick Moncrief, Ed Rotberg, Hans Hansen, Roger Hector, Jed Margolin, Owen Rubin, Otto D. Runtz, Eric Duffrey, and the aforementioned Morgan Hoff. If you haven't seen Battlezone in the arcade, the cabinet is quite striking in that you have two joysticks that you use to control it and then there is actually a place with viewing goggles that you put your eyes into so it kind of resembles a virtual reality an immersive thing since you're plugging your eyes right into it so some people consider it one of the first virtual reality arcade games because the game would also feed into an army simulator and we'll talk a little bit about that later it is the grandfather of one of the first vr training devices that the u.s army would use the game that you typically saw in the arcade was stand-up, but they also developed a cocktail version of Battlezone as a prototype. When they did it, there would be no color overlays, though, because when you were playing it against somebody across them on a cocktail table, they would need to flip to let each player play, so they didn't want to put the red cellophane in the wrong place. I think only one of these was made, and it's currently in a private collection. So a little bit about Ed Rotberg. He worked at Atari from 1981 to 1986, 
and then would move to Nolan Bushnell's coin-op company, Sente. Bushnell, if you didn't know, was Atari's founder, and then moved on. Rotberg would later go on to work for Apple Computer and 3DO. When stuff about Battlezone comes up, Rotberg's usually the guy they interview about it, since he was the designer. So he tells the story about a group of consultants for the Army, retired generals, who came in to talk to Atari about turning Battlezone into a simulator for the new infantry fighting vehicle. This would actually happen using the Battlezone system, although the simulator would be slightly different from the final game, a little bit more complicated. Interestingly, Rotberg hated the idea of the whole thing. Because he was a programmer, engineer, the military complex was hiring a lot of contractors at that point. So any of the engineers at Atari could have easily gotten a job working for the military, but they had consciously chose not to work for the military. So he thought that bringing the military and government jobs into Atari went against what a lot of the people at Atari were feeling at the time. He says that even at one meeting he got into a shouting match with the head of the division at the time because he felt so passionate against it. Of course, in the end, money, I imagine, won out, and a version of Battlezone called the Bradley Trainer, sometimes called Army Battlezone or Military Battlezone, was eventually finished for the Army and used by the Army to train gunners on the Bradley fighting vehicle. Only two versions of this game were produced. One was delivered to the Army and was lost, and nobody knows where that went. Maybe it's out there somewhere. And the other is in the private collection of Scott Evans, who found it in a dumpster in the parking lot of Midway Games. The yoke in the game, the gunner's yoke, was based on the yoke in the Bradley fighting vehicle controls, and that would later be used in another game that was quite popular, Star Wars. The Bradley Trainer has a lot more going on. In addition to the normal things that you see in Battlezone, it features helicopters, machine guns, missiles, but the tank itself doesn't move. Instead, the gun simply rotates. It's meant to train you to shoot, not to control the fighting vehicle. something you don't know about Atari video games. Are you kidding? He knows everything. Everything? He's the best at reserve, sensational at Star Raiders, and he scores at least a million in Defender. At least. But do you know you can get an Atari video game cartridge free? Buy two of these great hits, and Atari will send you any one of these great games free. He didn't know that. Yes, I did. No, you didn't. Yes, I did. No, you didn't. No, I didn't. Buy two now. Get one free. Is not included. Hi, my name is Teddy Ruxpin. Can you and I be friends? I really. Everybody out! Then one day we found an old treasure map. Teddy Ruxpin comes with illustrated book and cassette from Worlds of Wonder. And now back to Saturday's Super so I touched on the cabinet design earlier. The game had a periscope viewfinder, which I mentioned, but there was also a viewing area on the side so that if you're in the arcade, you could watch, which when I spotted it in the arcade just made me want to play it more because I was wondering what I would see through that viewfinder. And I think I might have had to stand on something to view it. In some arcades, they could take out the periscope version to improve visibility, although why you would do that is beyond me. They made a smaller cabinet version, Cabaret Cabinet as it's known in the arcade biz, 
where the screen was angled upwards and had no periscope. They also had that cocktail table version as a prototype, but none of those were ever produced for sale. The controls were two joysticks, left and right, which could only move in the Y-axis, each controlling a tread on that side of the tank. One joystick had a button on top to fire projectiles at enemy targets. Gameplay in the game is set on a mountainous horizon, featuring a memorable erupting volcano. That volcano in the background was created by Owen Rubin, and there's a good story behind that. Rubin and Rotberg were sharing office space at the time, and Rubin kept pestering Rotberg, saying that he should make the volcano do something. Rockberg said finally, well, you're a programmer. If you want that volcano active, you write the code and I'll put it in. Rockberg went home that day. He came in the next day and there on his desk was a chunk of code describing the motions of rocks and everything. There is honor among engineers and Rockberg put the code into the game and we have a wonderful erupting volcano in the background. The player views the screen and has an overhead radar, which allows you to spot so that you can destroy these other slow-moving regular tanks or faster-moving super tanks. Also in the game are UFOs and guided missiles, which appear to give you a sort of bonus shots. The UFOs do not fire on the player, they're just bonus, and they do not appear on the radar. Scoring points in the game was pretty simple. A standard tank was worth 1,000 points, a super tank 3,000 points, the UFO 5,000, and the guided missile 2,000. Each target can be destroyed with a single shot from your tank, and one bonus tank is awarded when the player reaches 15,000 points. Then at 100,000 points, another additional tank is awarded. No additional tanks are ever awarded until the score rolls over at 10 million points. At that point, the machine thinks the score is zero, and again, an additional tank is awarded at 15,000 and 100,000. What made the game a little easier than it could have been, and probably might have had to do with technical limitations, is that only one enemy can appear on the board at any one time, so that when you're playing it, you never have to battle two enemies at once. The exception being that the UFO can appear, but since it can't fire, it's all bonus. The main CPU is an M6502 at 1.512 megahertz. The sound chips are a Pokey working at 1.512 MHz and another custom chip at 1.512 MHz. Screen orientation is horizontal. Video resolution is 256 by 231 pixels. And technical overview. Of course, any good game has its bugs, or at least bug rumors. There's a bug in some machines which caused high scores in the seven digits to be posted after a player would put their initials into the game. Yes, like all good games, it had a high score area. Speaking of high score screens, the music that you hear right before the initial prompt, this piece of music, is from Tchaikovsky's 1812 Overture, which uses a cannon, which makes sense when you're having a game that has a gun that shoots, and you can hear it in there. If you're trying to get the high score in Battlezone, good luck. On August 30th, 1985, David Palmer of Auburn, California, put up a world record of 23 million points while playing at the Game Room Arcade in Citrus Heights, California. It took him 23 hours to get that score. And at the end, he quit with four tanks still left, so he could have had a lot more. 
Palmer seems to really have a talent for these type of games. He also holds records in other first-person simulator-type games. The Red Baron, which I talked about earlier, Star Wars, The Empire Strikes Back, Firefox, Star Rider, and others. For more information about record holders, I suggest you check out Twin Galaxies. Always very interesting to see what's doing over there in terms of classic gaming nowadays. When you put a compelling element in the background, an erupting volcano, it spawns rumors. And one of those rumors with it, if you kept driving in the game, eventually you could get to that volcano. And people would make up all sorts of stuff. And usually that's just arcade lore. Somebody would say, are you playing Battlezone? Oh, do you know you can get to that volcano? And then somebody would add more and more info to it. You can never get to the volcano. It is not the location of a magic castle or a tank factory. You won't get unlimited lives once you get there. So, stop trying. Battlezone has been ported to many consoles over the years, including the Atari 2600, the Atari Lynx, the Nintendo Game Boy, the Sony PlayStation, the Super Famicom, the Sega Saturn, the Sega Dreamcast, the GBA, the PlayStation 2, the Xbox, and the Xbox 360. It also showed up in computers on the VIC-20, the Commodore 64, for PCs in general, the Sinclair ZX Spectrum, Tandy Computers, and the Atari ST. Star Wars! It's great in the arcade. Whoa! TIE Fighters! Fireballs! Coming right at me! Watch the laser towers! Aim for the tops! Pick in the cannons! Use the force! Coming too fast! It's late! It's late! My shields are gone! Alright! I'm going in! In a galaxy of video games, there is only one. Star Wars. What do we have here? It's Castle Grayskull. And it's mine. That's so fast, Beastman. He-Man! You can pit He-Man against Beastman playing for the power of Castle Grayskull. You have to put the castle together. Beastman's escaping. The throne, Dad. Dad, you saved the castle. Castle Grayskull from the Masters of the Universe collection. Of course, when you got a great game, there's bound to be some clones. Some of the more successful clones are Stellar 7, Arctic Fox, Robot Tank, which was released by Activision in 83, which was reviewed on Games.Retroist, 3D Tank Zone, 3D Tank Duel, you always got to put that 3D word in everything, Rommel 3D, Spectre, and Tank Hunter, amongst many other unnamed clones out there. In the 80s, Battlezone made some movie appearances in the very famous movie Tron, in the 1983 movie Joysticks. You'll hear a little bit of the joystick music in just a couple of minutes. In the 1984 movie The Philadelphia Experiment, and in the 1986 movie Running Scared, Billy Crystal has a Battlezone game in his apartment. It's pretty awesome. In 82, Atari released a set of 12 collector's pins for video games. And in addition to such classics as Missile Command and Centipede, there was a Battlezone pin. So it shows you the company that Battlezone was in. Battlezone is an amazing game. And one of those games that showed you a glimpse of what games we would be playing in the future. 3D shooters. 
what I find really interesting is the military tie-in. Because now whenever I think about it or see the game, I picture Ed Rotberg in a meeting railing against the military complex and then being captured by the military and forced to make the game and then escaping the military's clutches with this intelligent chimpanzee and then moving to an island off the coast of Seattle and making this futuristic world. Now, maybe I've watched too many movies, but that's how I see it, and that's how I want to see it. Battlezone is a great game. If you ever get to play it in a classic arcade, please do. And if you have the opportunity to emulate it, give it a try. I think you will appreciate the technology and enjoy the gameplay. Thank you for listening to the show. For more retro fun, drop by the website at www.retroist.com. You can follow me on Facebook and Twitter. I'm at facebook.com slash retroist and twitter.com slash retroist. If you like classic video games, we have a classic video game review section of the site called games.retroist. You can get to games.retroist.com at games.retroist.com. See how convenient that is? The music you are hearing behind this is by the LS Dudes. They do really fun rock and roll type music, and this is a cover of the theme to the movie Joysticks. A fun movie. You should really see it. The audio samples used in the podcast were provided by 8-Bit Weapon. If you like 8-Bit music, check out 8-Bit Weapon at 8BitWeapon.com. The other music you hear in the show is by Peachy. If you have musical needs, why not email Peachy at Peachy at Retroist.com. Thanks for listening to the show, and I hope you have a great weekend. think you could take my code? You think you could turn this into a weapon? I'll show you how to make a weapon. Come on, Mr. Bubbles. Let's go. This has been a retrospective production. Goodbye.